Bible worm, Bible worm, reading the Bible with Bible worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, professor of religious studies at Hendricks College and theologian in residence of Canvas Community in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning and Music at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish, one Christian. This week, we're reading the story of Jesus casting a legion of unclean spirits into a herd of pigs, as told in Mark 5, 1-20. We struggle with how to think of demon possession in the modern world, ultimately concluding that demons represent those forces, both spiritual and societal, that intend harm to humans and especially to those living at the margins of society. We notice that when the demons see Jesus, they immediately know they are going to be cast out, and we wonder whether the demons of this world likewise tremble when they see us. And we notice that rather than celebrating the restoration of their neighbor, townspeople demand that Jesus leave their region, raising the question of whether we, too, are more concerned about the healing of our neighbors or worried about the costs of their restoration. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Amy, how are you this week? I'm doing great. All right. Today we've got a story about Jesus and a bunch of pigs. Jesus and the pigs and like demons. Yeah, yeah, that's probably more the point than the pigs, actually. No, but it's like, it really is, yeah, like G- Jesus, the pigs, and the demons. Like yeah. those are, it's like an episode of Top Chef and like the things in your box <laughs> are Jesus, pigs, pigs and demons. demons. What kind of story can you craft? Oh, that would be amazing. Mm. The other thing that happens <laughs> in this story is that Jesus rides on a boat. And to a to a land of not that is not his own. And so my question for you is where is one place that you have been on a boat? Oh. The first place that came to my mind, I think, because I remember seeing a picture of it actually more than I ever I get I I have a very delicate, maybe the word is like vestibular system or something. I get sick in all manner of motion. So oh, yeah. boats are not like a happy place for yeah, me. Yeah, I can see that. Mm. But when I was between high school and college, I did a whole lot. I was doing a whole lot of music at that time in my life, and I played in a youth orchestra, and we did this tour through all these different countries around the world. Oh, cool. And one of them was Amsterdam, and that involved boats. I remember seeing pictures of myself as a 17-year-old yeah. in a boat in Amsterdam. That's amazing. Yeah. I think this is something cool. that I never knew about you. I feel like there's so there's so rarely that I'm like surprised what? by some like major aspect of your life. Like you traveled the world playing in an orchestra. Like that's mm. fairly that's a fairly significant thing. I don't think I knew that until just this very moment. And it's totally one of those things that like when you're 17, like my parents were like, "Oh my god, this is amazing." And I was like, "Whatever. I'm going <laughs> to do this all the time." Yeah. Yeah, no, I've I have not gotten back to most of those places. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. a phase in your life where oftentimes people will fund your travel around to places. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then that phase goes away. It does. Yes. 
I'm waiting for it to circle back. I don't think it's coming. I think okay. that <laughs> I think that phase of your life might be over. Mm, I don't know. Mm. If anyone in Amsterdam would like to do a live podcast recording of Bible Worm, we are we available totally go to for an invitation at your expense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very generous invitation. Yeah. All right, Amy. So today we're in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, which we, as we have already alluded to, is a story about Jesus and a boat and some demons and some pigs. Mm-hmm. At the end last time, we were just in chapter 4. Is there are there things that we need to know to get us ready to read this text today? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, so in chapter four, we read these parables that were seemed to have been spoken to a bigger group, possibly only explained to the disciples. And then after they talk through some parables, they go off on a boat. It's a stormy, scary night in the boat. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 Jesus is able to calm the storm. And now they're they seem to arrive somewhere at the beginning of this chapter. The boat arrives on the other side of the sea, and that sort of launches us into our next story. Yeah. That's that's not a very substantive uh, transition, though. Would you add anything to that? No, I mean, that's pretty much what has happened. I think, th- I mean, we'll get to this too, but we uh, we have traveled across the water to another region a- as mm-hmm. this story begins. And so it's important, I think, to recognize that when this story opens, we're no longer in Judea. That's right. We're across the Sea of Galilee in the Decapolis, the region of the 10 cities, which is Gentile territory. Up until now, he's been in Jewish territory for the whole gospel, and now he's moved across the sea. Yeah. The other thing that seems relevant to me, which is from way back in a text we did not read in Mark chapter one, mm-hmm. four years ago when we did the narrative lectionary, that Mark chapter one verses 21. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was looking back at that just a little bit ago. I'm curious what you saw in that. Like if you were looking back at that too, mm-hmm. was there something about that text that you were relating to this text? Well, it's another place where Jesus encounters someone that the text tells us. It's a man with an unclean spirit. Yes. In that story, they're in the synagogue. Yeah. And this man with the unclean spirit sort of recognizes Jesus as like having a special status, not just a teacher, as like the Holy One of God. And Jesus commands this unclean spirit to come out and it does. Right. It's almost like, <laughs> like if you like encounter an old, you know, romantic interest in a space where like your social lives haven't intersected before, but like you guys have this whole other relationship that no one else in the room knows about. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm not suggesting that Jesus had like a romantic relationship with, okay, that got weird. That got, but yeah, that got weird. But <laughs> you know I, what I mean? Until that like, last move, it was interesting. <laughs> But but there's there is some kind of previous existing relationship knowledge between those spirits and Jesus that everyone else in the room is kind of outside of. Right. And that seems that seems relevant to what's happening here. It's a very different context, but in some ways similar elements will will come up. That's really helpful, Amy. You know, in our reading of Mark this season, in this narrative lectionary cycle, 
you get all the way here without actually having seen any unclean spirits. Mm-hmm. But in the Gospel of Mark itself, that's the very first thing Jesus really does mm-hmm. is go to that synagogue. And so his first act in Jewish territory is to cast out an unclean spirit. And then here, mm-hmm. his first act in Gentile territory is also going to involve unclean that's spirits. That's interesting that it's the first act in both spaces that I had not put my finger on. So it seems like a really important theme in Mark, and we'll have to sort of unpack maybe why that is. Also, I really like thinking about exes as demons from another world. (laughs) Pre-existing and conflictual relationships that others might not know about. And now my head is Uh off into all sorts of places. (laughs) I really hope you can bring that back up sometime. I will not. Nope. Nope. I will not do that. (laughs) I will not do that. Mm. All right. So I am picking up in Mark chapter 5, and I'm reading in the Common English Bible. Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the lake, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs. This man lived among the tombs, and no one was ever strong enough to restrain him, even with a chain. He had been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke the chains and smashed the leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. Night and day in the tombs and the hills, he would howl and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from far away, he ran and knelt before him, shouting, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded him, Unclean spirit, come out of the man. What a scene, Bobby. I know. Mm. I'm curious when you say that what you're initially sort of drawn into about that scene? I mean, I'm I'm drawn into the the figure of this this man. <laughs> I'm drawn into the figure of this man. And yeah. I don't know, the way that he's depicted as sort of being like constantly surrounded by this world of death, like coming mm. out of the tombs and inhabiting the area of the tombs and all these other people trying to restrain him and he cannot be restrained. I don't know. I spent a lot of time sitting with this and just trying to think, like, what does all of this evoke for me other than he's scary? Yeah. Like something scary is happening. Is it that it's something that can't be controlled? Is it, what does death have to do with it? Is it like death can't be controlled? And this, like, it just seems like this sort of amalgamation of really scary things, let alone the fact that he is hurting his own body, which— is is a frightening thing is a frightening thing. Yeah. Because it it it, it seems like that that's not how it should be. We should be protecting our bodies and yet because of the state that he's in, because of the spirit that is within him, everything is wrong. Yeah, this figure is so he's so interesting and tragic and complicated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And right here he's sort of just talked about as a man with a demon. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the two are just one kind of entity. Mm-hmm. It's hard mm-hmm. to se- to separate out like what is the man from what is the demon. Yeah. And so it's it just is as though you said he's hurting his own body, which mm-hmm. is true, but also his body is possessed by a creature that is mm-hmm. not him. And so there yes. is this sort of acting on there's a demon acting on the man's body. Yes. Or maybe the man is acting on his own body because of the demon. 
it's just so hard to disentangle. Right, but even if the demon is acting on the man's body, he's using the man's body to act on his exactly. body. Exactly, right. And so it's, yeah, like his body appears to be both the aggressor and the victim. Yeah, because you could think of that as the man himself is sort of trying to get the demon out of himself, and so he's yes. gnashing his body that way. Or you could yes. think of it as the demon is just trying to cause damage where it can, and so it yes. uses the man's body. And whichever way you kind of want to unpack that, it yeah. opens up all sorts of interpretive mm. possibilities. Yeah. You mentioned this relationship to the tombs and to death. Did you come up with a way of thinking about that that seemed right to you? Okay, so so I have to just sort of put out there with it. I know that every time we've every time I've talked about this text with any group of people, this has come up. And so I might as well just front load it now. This is a really excruciating passage to read for mm-hmm. anyone who has lived with or lived up close to someone with a mental illness that might manifest in any way like this. Yes. Um, I don't even really know what else to say about it, but particularly folks whose illness leads to self-harm. Like it's it's just really hard to read this and then to read it as a as a demon and how to yes. sit. I mean, I just don't even know how to hold all of that. So I think part of my trying to make sense of it was like, what else can I do with it besides that's the thing that's right in front of my face and I don't I don't know how to hold that. So right. so I was trying to think about it. Like, what if I tried to think about it more metaphorically? Like, what are the, like, the the forces in the world or the appetites we feed that direct us away from a full life mm-hmm. and cause us to harm ourselves and our own spirits? But th- that really, that's, <laughs> that's, that's pushing, that's pushing metaphorical almost because I can't even look at it's hard for me to even look at the text the way it is. It's so raw. You're pushing us toward the question, which is the right one, of like, how do you or we as modern people think about demon possession? <laughs> how do we think about demon possession? I'm a person who does not have any experience with actual demons in the world. Although I will say that some of the people at my former community, Mercy Church, who were homeless and who mm-hmm. come from more sort of charismatic traditions than I were just like, oh yeah, demon possession, like that's a thing. And so I, I want to be open to the possibility that this mm-hmm. is actually a thing that people do experience in the world, but it's not something that I have experienced mm-hmm. mercifully. And so that question of how do you think about it? And I, I think the mental illness is one way that people will often go. And I, I agree with you for all sorts of reasons, like that is really hard to think about. The other way that I get to it is thinking about the spiritual forces in the world that act on human beings in detrimental ways that are sort of beyond our control. And so when I talk about that, I'm thinking about the things we call isms, right? Like Mm -hmm. when you think about racism or sexism Mm -hmm. or heterosexism, Mm -hmm. these Mm -hmm. powers that sort of seem bigger than any one Mm -hmm. person and control Mm -hmm. lots of people. And they, they come at certain people very powerfully and cause a lot of harm. And one of the ways that I think about 
the sort of spiritual realm in the Gospel of Mark is that it is spiritual. It is about, you know, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of Satan, basically, the kingdom of the evil spirits, but it's also political. So it's about the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Rome. And so then the question becomes this sort of empire has had free reign for a time over the world, and it has acted in all these ways that damage certain kinds of people and marginalize them. And then here comes Jesus with a different way of life and those spiritual forces that have been unchecked, that have manifested themselves in the oppression of certain people over and against others, suddenly are afraid. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I, mm-hmm. I read. I, I am abstracting it, as you were saying, in a way that's mm-hmm. not exactly in mm-hmm. the text, mm-hmm. but I'm not mm-hmm. sure it's not in the text either, that yeah. this, this is the spiritual realm and the sort of political world are always intertwined in, the, in these sorts of ways. Bobby, that's so interesting. And, and I just want to make sure I'm understanding you correctly, that you're talking about forces like, you know, it, racism or whatever, the way that racism would impact the person who held those beliefs, who held racist beliefs, or the way that racism impacts people who are people of color who experience racism, like the effects of it. I don't know how to say this properly, but who experience it directly, like directed at them. So I I was saying the second of those, that there are people who these sort of demonic spirits uh, attack directly and causes harm in their bodies. They carry the effects in their bodies of these demonic forces in the world. It's interesting to think about it the other way too, but that's not where my head initially That's goes. not where your head goes. No, I love that. And and my head went more to the other side. Like, how do those forces impact and sort of constrain the the person who who comes to hold those beliefs? And I wasn't thinking as much about the isms that you're mentioning, but I was thinking about our acquisitiveness and, you know, yeah. our desire for unending wealth and power and independence, all of which ultimately can harm our own spirits, but we don't seem to be able to hold ourselves back from them very well. I think let's try to hold both of those ideas as we Mm -hmm. go forward. And, you know, one of the things about demon possession in the text is I think it's probably bigger than any one sort of way Mm -hmm. of grappling Mm -hmm. with it. And so just to stay a little bit open about what, what we might want to do with that in the end. For sure. Why do you think he's living in the tombs? I can think of two possible answers. One, if we are, if we're sort of thinking on that metaphorical level we were just talking about that, you know, we've we've spoken in these other texts about sort of, you know, Jesus offering a different horizon to which people can lift their eyes, like a different plane of existence, which is not where they are necessarily right now if they're oriented towards the empire. And and this this demon doesn't want them oriented there. This demon right. wants them oriented exactly towards the empire, which here is essentially death. Uh-huh. Or we could say that they have been pressed there because because of all these manifestations of this uh, these forces that are bringing suffering into their lives. They are not welcome in other uh-huh. parts of the community, which I imagine is probably true of this guy. I don't know if he would have wanted to be out in the world doing stuff if he was choosing to be there or not, but the fact that people are trying to chain him up Uh seems to indicate 
that he probably wasn't welcome at the local diner. <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah. It's so striking to me that he's already living in the tombs, and yet it seems like they're still trying to come and chain him up. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even though he's all the way out at the edge of society, living in the place of the dead, where mm-hmm. no one really goes, I would assume, very often, yet they still come and think, like, let's try to chain this guy down. So there's, there's nowhere he can go. It doesn't seem like he's trying to rampage through the towns and cause destruction. It sounds like he's trying to stay out of the way, and yet people are still afraid of him, mm. want to control him. Yeah. When he sees Jesus, ah, this interaction is so interesting. He knelt down, yeah. which you initially read as an act of deference or maybe worship, mm-hmm. and then says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. And then we get Mark's, oh yeah, by the way, (laughs) Jesus had already commanded unclean spirit come out of the man. Mm -hmm. Like it's like he skipped skipped the part about Jesus making the command, commanding the spirit to come out. It was like, oh yeah, this is like all in response to this earlier thing that we didn't even have time to talk about. Can you help me think through that sort of sequence of events? That is so interesting that the actual moment of Jesus uh, saying anything to this demon is really just sort of an afterthought. Like, yeah. The focus really, like what our eyes are drawn to is, is really, is not, I want to say it's not Jesus. It's this incredibly yeah. compelling and complicated figure of this man who has an unclean spirit or perhaps many. And it almost, okay, I know that you tease me sometimes for having empathy with like really the wrong characters. I'm not really teasing <laughs> not you. I think wrong, it's lovely. But strange. I mean, I have to work a little bit when I read this, when I read this and like the passage just, just following it that we'll get to where like the spirits are begging him and are on his knees. It's, it's a little hard not to get confused as a reader (laughs) for me that like, why would Jesus come to torture any spirit? Like it's, I mean, maybe that's the whole point that demons confuse us, but yeah, my eyes here are not on Jesus. They're on this guy. That line that's there. What have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, is the commentaries I was reading say that that's sort of like, what are you doing here, man? Mm -hmm. Like, this is our Mm -hmm. place, Mm -hmm. not your place. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing that the unclean spirit said to Jesus in the synagogue in chapter Mm -hmm. one. Why are you here? This is our place. And their sense of it is that these places, the earthly realm, I think, they have come to think of as their own. Like we've, we've got free reign of this place. And now here comes this one from the kingdom of heaven mm-hmm. representing the most high God. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who seems out of place. Yeah, he's on our turf. But they recognize, like when he kneels down, he's recognizing mm-hmm. that in mm-hmm. fact, Jesus has power mm-hmm. over them, mm-hmm. but they thought he was never going to exercise it or something like mm-hmm. that. Right, it's like there was some... 
uh, maybe unspoken agreement that like, yeah, okay, fine, you, you know, that the most high God is more powerful, but we can, we can divide up territory here. Like there has to be somewhere for us to be sort of, as you were just saying, like this guy has been pressed to being, to living among the tombs right? and still they're trying to constrain him. So there's this, the spirit needs a place, this unclean spirit feels it deserves a place to be. The way you said that we're going to divide up territory reminds me so much of, you know, in, in my tradition, in the antebellum South, there became, and I, I imagine at other points in history as well, but there became this sense in which religion or Christianity only has to do with your spiritual life and it should never mm-hmm. inform your political or economic or social views because those things are mm-hmm. of, you know, of the political world, not of the spiritual world. Mm-hmm. And this is reminding me so much of that, that it's it's exactly when those two things come together and you say, no, in fact, being a follower of the kingdom of heaven is very much about the way I live my life and who I care about and how I spend my money and how I care for people who are pressed to the margins or whatever. I'm not going to separate those things. And the spirits of the earthly realm said like, what are you doing here? Like get that stuff back in your, in your sanctuaries. Yeah. It's like the powers of the earth get so habituated to being in charge. They forget that they're not is, Mm -hmm. is one of the ideas here. And they want, they want the kingdom of heaven to stay at a distance. And I don't know, maybe this goes without saying, maybe it doesn't, but the, the first scene that we talked about earlier, that was in chapter one is being pressed out of the synagogue that is within Judea. And so like that, that's sort of one level of like pushed out of like one of the more, what a Jewish audience would have considered one of the more sacred spaces within a sacred territory. Now we are like pretty far flung from that. We are in a, in a, in like a graveyard in a Gentile district. Yeah. And, you know, and still here's Jesus saying, no, you can't, no. Yeah. You can't be here. I, I really like that, Amy. So now we're getting more and more into the realm that maybe realistically actually does belong to the evil spirits or to the empire or something like that. So Jesus is sort of cleansing mm-hmm. outward. I like that. Is there anything else we want to say about this first section? I have one possibly impossible question. Okay. Ready? Yes. What do you think this spirit wants? Like, is it getting some kind of satisfaction from making this man howl and beat himself? Or is Mm. it enjoying this? Or is it, like, is it having fun? Or is it just like, like, is it, what does the spirit want? Does it just need a place to be? And this is what spirit, unclean spirits do? Or is it torch? Is it sadistic? That is such an interesting question, Amy. And I honestly, I never thought about it. I think I probably just read it as the evil spirits need a place to be. Mm-hmm. And this seems like as good a place as any. Mm-hmm. And they sort of have their free reign. Mm-hmm. But that idea of they're sort of sadistic and they actually enjoy causing people to suffer and watching people suffer is kind of an interesting one. Although I don't know how far to push that. Yeah. 
How do you answer that question? I don't know a lot about, I don't know a lot about demons. Mm-hmm. So I really, I feel like I'm importing things from like horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> which is not a great source of information. But I think it's, I think especially reading the way the story unfolds, it does just seem like they need to be in a body. Yeah. And so they have they are they got into this one. Yeah. And if Jesus is gonna push them out, they they need another one. Yeah, there was this Denzel Washington movie from nineteen ninety eight called Fallen. And it's about the demon Azazel and he like moves from person to person and he has to have a body to go to. And like as you're talking, I'm realizing whenever I read this text, that's what I'm thinking about. It's like, it could only travel a certain distance uh-huh. without a body. Uh-huh. Anyway, it's worth that. It's a really, well, when I was in, when I was 1998 years old, I thought it was an amazing <laughs> movie. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how it holds up. I think uh, we're going to have to find out. Have a yeah. special screening. That would be awesome. We can do that in our Amsterdam retreat that somebody is going to. That's a fantastic (laughs) idea. We just need a sponsor. Hi, everyone. It's Bobby here. This month, Bible Worm has a special offer just for you. If you've ever thought about joining our Patreon, now is the time. For the month of January, we're giving all our subscribers access to the full range of Bible Worm features. If you join now at the Bible Worm supporter level, you can get early access to episodes, weekly worship liturgies, and video Bible studies all for just $4 for the month. If you've ever wanted to try out our Patreon, now's the time. We hope you'll join us. And now, back to this week's episode. All right. So I'm picking up in verse 9. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He responded, Legion is my name because we are many. They pleaded with Jesus not to send them out of that region. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. Send us into the pigs, they begged. Let us go into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission. So the unclean spirits left the man and went into the pigs. Then the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. So the the first thing that, it's just that question Jesus asks Mm -hmm. is, what is your name? Yes. Can you just talk about that being the first question of Jesus's? Well, I I have a couple thoughts in my head about that question. One is the spirit recognized Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, like by name, Jesus recognized that there was an unclean spirit. Yes. But it's a little curious to me that Jesus asks the name of the unclean spirit. Like yeah. that he needs to ask the name. Right. Like that he doesn't know the name. Yeah. And so it it makes me wonder if like unclean spirits come in many different manifestations and under many different names. And again, I guess mm. it's just getting into this whole like demonology that I don't I don't know a lot about. Yeah. I mean, I know I, I believe there is an importance in knowing the name of an angel or a demon or, you know, as we saw in the Hebrew Bible of God as a, in order to be able to call upon it to do anything. Yeah. In order to get it to respond, you need to know its name. And so we remember, you know, Moses really wanted to know the name of God. And that's part of how I think about why Moses wanted to know the name of God and why God was so sort of 
kind of hedgy on that question (laughs) and why there is a Jewish tradition of not pronouncing the name because it, it seems like it, it's very powerful to, to actually utter a name. Okay. I just said a lot of things. What, why do you, what do you think about the fact that Jesus has to ask this spiritist name and doesn't already know it? That's so interesting that when you said that, the first thing that occurred to me is in my tradition, like if I were to baptize a child, I would oftentimes what you will say to the parent is, what is this child's name? And then they tell you the name and then you baptize them using their name. But like you already know their name, right? You're not going to go and do a baptism and you don't already (laughs) know who you're baptizing. Yeah. And so then I thought, well, maybe Jesus does know the name, but it's important for the mm. name to be articulated. And, you know, you then you could say, well, it's important for us as readers to hear the name Legion, which I think mm-hmm. is an important name. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. We'll get but there's that. also something personal about just sharing, like asking someone's name and sharing the name. Yeah. Even if you already know it. When I read it, that was, it just felt very personal to me where the demon, the unclean spirit is taking this like as a personal attack Mm-hmm. And Jesus, like, don't torture me. And Jesus yeah. says, "What's your name?" It just, yeah. it just felt very, mm. almost like compassionate or yeah. interested. Which I don't know what to do with that either. Interesting, but very far from I'm going to torture you. Yeah, it's tell me your name. I hadn't really thought about the fact that maybe Jesus doesn't know its name, which I think is an entirely reasonable way to read it as well. In that case, here's my proposed theology. It's like when people, like, you know, if you're like head of a church or a synagogue and like you're on Zoom all the time and people watch you and they know you, but you don't know all their names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like that analogy, Amy, because then it's sort of like the implication is Jesus is so important that, of course, the demons know who he is, but the demon is so inferior. They're not on equal footing. Yeah. So why would I know your name? Like, I don't know. You're just somebody on a Zoom call. It's really interesting to hold both the idea that Jesus could be asking the name almost as an like a gentle act or a caring act. Yeah. But also the only way I can control you and drive you out is to know your name. Yeah. And also I don't know. A little know bit you backhanded. Because, yeah, yeah, like why yeah, would I know who like you it's are? it could be yeah, it's it's interesting to hold both of those. Yeah. Whatever the case, the response is, so we thought until now in the narrative that there is this one unclean spirit. The one unclean spirit now says, Legion is my name because we are many. (laughs) Oh, man. Dude, if this were like a horror movie, things just got real. Got (laughs) really real. Like the lighting just changed on the set. (laughs) Yeah. Like it was already bad enough. It was already bad enough, but... Legion is my name because we are many. I I think it is, in my experience, true that the essential nature of forces that that cause suffering is that they are many and they are complicated. And you can't pull just one little string and be done. Like it's it's complicated. Whatever's happening to this within this man's body. Yes. Is is complicated. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking back to the mental health metaphor for all the problems that it has. I just can't unsee it in this scene. So in the I guess in the moments that it feels like there's something true, I might as well notice it. It's 
you know, a lot of times when people are suffering with mental illness, it's not just one, it's, it's not so easy as like, oh, we'll just, we'll just figure out this diagnosis and put you right. on a medication. Sometimes that, that'll do it, but sometimes there are just a whole lot of things going on at the same time. And it's really hard to, yeah. really hard to parse them out. No, that's exactly right. And if you think about it the way I was thinking about it earlier as sort of structural yes. injustice yes. or systemic also sin. Also true, 100%. And now we're just talking about intersectionalities, right? 100%. And yeah. Mm-hmm. It turns out, you know, there's a herd of 2,000 pigs. And so I don't know if it was like one spirit per pig or how exactly you want to think about it. But like there might have been <laughs> 2,000 of these, uh, these yeah. spirits. By the way, the pronouns sort of shift back and forth in this story between singular and plural related to the man. And so some, so it's like the man and the demons, the singularity and the plurality keeps shifting back and forth in this text. So this is sort of interesting, like you can't separate the human from the spirits, from the which one is speaking. And yes. it's really artfully done in the, yeah. in the Greek of course, the other resonance of legion is that this was a unit of the Roman military. And so this would be sort of like, you know, a saying like, what is your name, spirit? And it would say battalion or something like that mm-hmm. in our mm-hmm. society. Mm-hmm. And so the name legion seems to connect us in some way to the Roman army. I think especially it would have done so for the hearers of the gospel of Mark in the year 70 ish when they were engaged or just recently had survived uh, an actual rebellion against Mm -hmm. Rome and Roman incursion into Judea. Yeah. I don't really know what we're supposed to do with that, but it is, I think it's gotta be purposeful or at least it's gotta be in there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. The other thing that people have noticed is that the 10th legion of the Roman army, which was the one stationed in this region in, the t- in this time period, their banner was, the, was a hog. I'm in Arkansas as I say oh, that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so woo pig. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. And so this connection of mm-hmm. legion with pigs and all of that. Some people have read Ched Myers kind of most famously, but others as well have read that as this is talking about the Roman army as, as a, like a literal occupying force of the region wow. of Judea and Syria. And they've wanted to read this as a political issue. And so then the mm-hmm. pigs jumping into the mm-hmm. sea and drowning is the, the mm-hmm. army being forced out of the region and and drowning or going back to Rome or, or whatever. The word for herd there of pigs is also an awkward word for herd of pigs, but it is a perfectly normal word for a collection of soldiers. And so mm. those three things together have kind of led people down this. This is really about colonization and the expulsion of the Roman army. Do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, I know I just sort of threw that at you. Thoughts about that? Mm. I think it just, it it really makes a strong case for, for part of what you were talking about earlier, and I guess to some degree I was too, but that the extent to which there's no, there's no absolute separation between the, the spiritual and the political and, yes, and it's not just some kind of, um, you know, 
hippie woke thing to read (laughs) this text as talking about empire or the Roman Empire or the forces of uh, the the powers that be in the societies we live in. Like that's, it it really seems like you'd actually have to work kind of hard not to see that if you under if you if you understood the Greek. Like if you're not reading the Greek and your translation just says heard, then then it feels like a stretch. Right. But with all of that background knowledge, it, it is it seems very much like not a stretch. To me, that seems right. So the word, you know, we you've been talking a lot about the sort of spiritual side and also about the this issue of mental illness. I've been talking a lot about empire mm-hmm. and structural mm-hmm. racism, mm-hmm. structural injustice. And and I think you're exactly right. Like this text is saying all of those things are a piece. And you can't read the one without the other without the other. And and I think that's re- I think that's really important. That's pretty radical text, Bobby. It is a radical you, text. It is a radical text. <laughs> I know you've never thought that thought before, but it's like pretty chutzpah to just put that right out there. The other, I mean, there's so many, so much to talk about, but we, the animals here are pigs, mm-hmm. and that those are significant animals in lots of ways. Wait, I talked a little bit about the Roman legion. When as a when you read about p- these animals being pigs, does that lead your head any place in particular? You know, I actually was, <laughs> I, that's what I was thinking about on my run this morning. I was like, I know Bobby's going to ask me this pig question. <laughs> you know, pigs are are not kosher. You can't eat a pig. And so they are considered unclean. But I, I don't know how someone at this time would have thought about it. Because yeah. it's not that the text never says you shouldn't interact. The, the, the Torah doesn't say you shouldn't interact with pigs or there's something wrong with pigs or pigs are disgusting. It just says you don't eat them. Right. Just in the same way you're not supposed to wear clothing that's mixed with wool and cotton. Like you just, they're just things you're not, <laughs> you're not supposed to do. Right. And the, and the, and co- the kosher law sort of fall into that category. Now, whether part of the sort of background for how that came to be was that it was associated with other peoples and it was like a distinguishing marker and then you sort of come to associate disgust with it. Look, I don't I don't know how all that sort of played out in this period of time. So I I feel like all I can comfortably say is don't eat the pigs. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But it's but it is entirely possible that other people would have I mean you wouldn't have a herd of 2000 pigs if you're not going to eat them, I don't think. Right. And we're in Gentile territory in this story as well. Yeah, sure. Across the lake. And so Mm -hmm. you especially wouldn't have concern if a Gentile was eating pigs, right? No. No. Mm -mm. There's nothing wrong with that. The other thing about these pigs is that there's 2,000 of them, which is a sizable herd. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like somebody had a whole lot of pigs, and now those pigs are... Drowning in the sea. Or no more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's just hold that with us while we read this little next section, starting in verse 14. Mm-hmm. Those who tended the pigs ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who used to be demon-possessed. They saw the very man who had been filled with many demons, sitting there fully dressed and completely sane, and they were filled with awe. Those who had actually seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man told the others about the pigs. Then they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. So the 
the thing that caught my attention here that I'm so interested in is first it was the pig tenders, like the ones who are responsible mm-hmm. for hurting the pigs who went and told the story. I totally heard that as like chicken tenders. The pig, <laughs> the tenders. pig tenders. Not those guys. Okay. <laughs> no, Continue. Not the tenders of the pigs. Yes. I don't know. Then so the people come and they're like, wow, look at the guy. And then then the people who are tending the pigs tell them about what happened to the pigs, and then they say, get out of here, Jesus. And so it's like these, the pig herds, pig herders are like stirring something up. And how do you, how do you read that? You know, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of this when I was reading it, but it's interesting to think back to that, the early like annunciation, maybe that's not the annunciation text, where the shepherds get the message that Jesus is going to be born. Oh yeah. Like this is, this is the parallel to the shepherds that have now witnessed this crazy thing. Yeah. And they go and tell people. I don't yeah. know if they're meaning to like stir up trouble. Maybe they are, but they saw something pretty incredible. Yeah. Of course they're telling people. I'm so interested in the description now of of the man who had been possessed mm-hmm. with these spirits. Mm-hmm. We just get people are coming and they're seeing this man whom they have known as the one who is gnashing himself and they've been trying to bind him and chain him. And there he is, Mm -hmm. the CEB fully dressed and completely sane. Mm -hmm. And they were filled with awe. Can you just talk about that transformation of that man and the people's response to him? Yeah. I mean, the NRSV has, they were afraid. So I imagine it's that. Oh, the filled with awe is afraid. Yeah, that, that sort yeah. of awe and fear Oh yeah, mm-hmm. thing. I mean, I, I would imagine that if they really, as a, as a community, had put their mind towards trying to force this man to sit still and stop doing what he was doing when he was possessed with all these demons, and there was just no amount of power they could place upon him that would <laughs> that would do that i would think there would be a pretty fast recognition that something something very powerful has happened here but it's something entirely it's a totally different kind of power yes. than what they were trying to do yes. like it has nothing to do with chains and whatnot something entirely other has happened and i take that fear awe thing to be a yeah. sense of like I, I don't actually know what that was. Like I know yeah. I know it is big and it is and I'm humbled in the face of it and I can't I can't control it. Like some something yeah. something big happened here. So we know that things have changed, but we're not sure yet whether that is a wonderful thing or a fearsome thing or both at the same time. Yeah. It's just a big thing. So interesting to me. They were af- they were afraid of this guy before, mm-hmm. but it seems like maybe they had kind of gotten used to him being mm-hmm. the way that he was. Mm-hmm. And so you you might think that the, if they if they had been so afraid of him that they just wanted to chain him up, and they thought that was going to make them feel safer, that the fact that now he doesn't even need to be chained up would make them feel safe. Yes, but it doesn't. But it doesn't. No, and I think. And I think that's fascinating. So I was like, are they are they afraid of the change? Are they just afraid? Or are they just afraid because there's a a recognition of a power they don't understand and can't control right. is present. 
That's interesting. So they were afraid of the man because he was a power they couldn't control when he was possessed with demons. Now there's a power mm-hmm. that can control the yes. powers that were controlling the man. And so now they're maybe even it's more. It's sort of like all the more so. An even yes. more powerful thing they can't mm-hmm. control is here. Yeah. The CEB puts this together narratively in such an interesting way because, you know, when they see the man, they were filled with awe in the CEB. And then the swineherds tell them what happened to the pigs. Mm-hmm. And in verse 17, then they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. Yeah. So it was like there was a moment where they were like, wow. And then there's like, hey, but the pigs ran off the cliff. And then they're mm-hmm. like, Jesus, get out of here. Mm-hmm. And that progression, mm-hmm. probably even if you read it as they were fearful in the first place, then they hear about the pigs and then they say, mm-hmm. get out of here. Mm-hmm. That progression seems so significant to me. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you read what has happened there? I mean, I think one way to read it is, you know, you mentioned before, like this 2,000 pigs is like, this guy's got some real herds. There's some real there's an economy. Like there's a yeah. whole <laughs> there's a whole economy that has just run into the lake and drowned yes. itself here. So I think that's one way to look at it is sort of like, oh, that's great that you healed the guy, thinking that there's no ram no other ramifications for the right. community to deal with. That it's just, sure, I want healing, like I want a hundred bucks. But once there's sort of something on the line, right, that they're unwilling, unwilling to accept it. Yeah. The other thing I wondered was whether there's, even though they didn't like the presence of this guy, that there was some willingness to accept the status quo because it had been the status quo and and they're not the ones who are suffering. And they're a little bit afraid, but he mostly stays in the tombs. But then the idea that these forces of suffering can shift somehow, like not just evaporate, mm. but shift I don't know, like maybe it made everything feel precarious. I mean, that is scary. It's a scary idea that these that these forces were in were contained in a person. Yes. And then could come out but would go somewhere else. Yes. That that's scary. It's one of the things in my community of homeless friends that they talk about sometimes is they will say, you know, the things that happened to me are things that could happen to you too. Yes. And nobody wants to hear that. I lost my job. There was a significant relationship that I had that ended. Mm -hmm. Someone close to me died and I never Mm -hmm. figured out how to handle it. Or Mm -hmm. I didn't have good health insurance, so I started self-medicating and I got addicted. These are all things that could happen to you too. And nobody wants to hear that. That's right. And so we're sort of happy to have there's the homeless folks over there and oh, isn't it so bad for them? But you're exactly right. When you start to think like, oh, that could touch me too. Then that starts to get, there's almost a comfort in homeless people. No, you're right. You're right. And especially if you can find some way to blame them for their own situation, some way to distinguish yourself. Yes. Yeah. You can tolerate the presence of suffering around you as long as it is contained. Yes. And, uh, you and not yours. But once it's out. That's right. The way I have tended to read this fear of the, or the like trying to kick Jesus out after they hear about the pigs, it's related, I think. But that there is 
they can't handle the economic cost of mm-hmm. the healing of the mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so in my in the CEB, in my in my reading of the CEB anyway, their initial response is kind of positive. Like, oh, oh wow, that person is back to normal. And then they realize what the cost has been. Yeah. And it turns out they would much rather have a booming economy mm-hmm. at the expense of the health and well-being of a few marginal people or this mm-hmm. one marginal man. Mm-hmm. And so they do the cost-benefit analysis and they say like, nope, we can't have that. And so to the extent that the healing and wholeness and well-being of people, including the marginalized people, has an economic cost, that's mm-hmm. what they can't that's what they can't deal with. That's so sad. It is sad. I mean, I think it's a good reading. I think that's I think it's also something that I actually hear people say sometimes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. At what cost can we bring about change? Right. And one of the major major issues in Little Rock, I assume it's every place for people living on the street is that they don't have good access to mental health care. Mm-hmm. And so they're just they're living without medication. Mm-hmm. You know, which is insane. Which is insane. It's insane. And, and people with their exact exact same conditions who can afford health care mm-hmm. are treated and live mm-hmm. fully functional lives. And we say, well, if you if we paid taxes, higher taxes, we could actually have publicly funded health care that would take care of these problems and people could live functional lives just like you do. And but we don't want to pay that price. Yeah. And so there is like to me that's very similar to what's happening here in this story. And I'm going to read the end of the story, beginning then in verse 18. While Jesus was climbing into the boat, the one who had been demon-possessed pleaded with Jesus to let him come along as one of his disciples. But Jesus wouldn't allow it. Go home to your own people, Jesus said, and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. The man went away and began to proclaim in the ten cities all that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. So we've talked a couple times the last few weeks about Jesus sort of walking along, calling random people, you know, those fishermen over there, like, hey, come follow me, and they go. Tax collector over there, come follow me, and they go. Here we've got somebody saying, let me come with you. Yeah. And Jesus says, no, thanks. Yeah. Why? Well, first of all, let me ask you, why do you think the man wants to go with Jesus? I mean, Jesus just gave him a totally new life. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, there, I mean, two things. One of them is that, and I don't even know what else to say about that, but I mean, if you mm-hmm. can just imagine being, com- like, imagine the life he had before and how things have entirely, he was reborn, essentially, mm-hmm. because of Jesus. Of course he would want to hang out with Jesus. Yeah. And... I don't really trust this community that he's in yeah. that would seems like they would have rather that he just continued to suffer if they could have kept their pigs. Yeah. And they've I been trying to chain him up and Yeah. Like do what all is his life to gonna be years. like there? Yeah. It doesn't seem like they're welcome. I, I it doesn't seem like they're likely to welcome in welcome him into their homes. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think Jesus says no? It's so interesting, Bobby, because I really, I always, you know, I I think I still 
have this sort of like cartoon Jesus in my head that is first and foremost a nice guy. Mm-hmm. You know, your friend. Jesus is here to be your friend. And so it is a little painful, especially since just a few verses ago, we had this demon begging, you know, begging for something. And Jesus gave the demon what it wanted. Mm -hmm. And then this guy, in my translation, it's the same word, begging to go with him. And he's like, nope. (laughs) Yeah. Which is a reminder to me that while Jesus does show lots of kindness— that he has a different goal. He is not here to do as much kindness as he can while he is on earth. He is he is here to <laughs> bring about this, the, like spread the word of, I mean, what is he here to do? He's here to, to spread the gospel, to inaugurate this era of the kingdom of God on earth. And he, he does perform these miracles, but it's easy for me to get confused about what his real purpose is and his purpose is not to be friends with everybody we've seen that all along the way of jesus has been here wanting to proclaim the good news of the arrival of the kingdom and saying repent and change your lives and participate in the kingdom of heaven and that's been his purpose and people keep coming to him for healing for healing for healing and he's responding to them but it seems like what he really wants to do is go and tell people the kingdom is the kingdom of heaven is arriving, and so come be like be part of it. And so that like, it's not about the personal relationship. It's not mm-hmm. directly about the healing. It's about mm-hmm. this message that mm-hmm. is really important. I think that's I think that's the right way to read it. And here you've got this man who's from the Decapolis who can go and talk in the Decapolis, and people will know who he is. I think even in the surrounding region. I'm sure you've heard about the the demon-possessed man who wanders around in the graveyard and cuts himself. And when he can come to you and say, look, that was me, and look what's happened to me, like, that's a powerful, transformational story. Mm-hmm. And so he's got a, he has a special ability in his region to talk to his people and say, look, look what this Jesus did for me as a evidence about what this new way of life is going to be like. I've been talking about my homeless community a lot today, but one of the things that they say is um, unless you've been down through it, you can't talk to people who are going through it. Mm -hmm. So I do think there's something here maybe about the most effective thing this person can do is stay where people know he's Mm -hmm. been down through it Mm -hmm. so he can show people that another life is possible. If he goes with Jesus back to Jewish territory, they they don't know who he is. Right. But in his place... He's mm-hmm. got a witness. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. Yeah, I was going to ask sort of about, about the fact that he's a Gentile and if that seems like an important thing in this conversation, either to draw out that like there's a Gentile who's asking to follow Jesus or there's a Gentile who Jesus says, no, don't follow me. Or if it's sort of that, like in other places in the story, it seems like Jesus doesn't really want people spreading the word of healing. It's true. But here, he does. Like maybe, maybe there's just not such a risk of people turning all paparazzi on him, like has yeah. been happening in Judea. And so he, his sort of like holy calculation is that in this place, what is needed is exactly that kind of testimony. I like that way of reading it. 
So this is preparing the ground. Like the gospel is going to spread into Gentile mm. territory after the resurrection. And so this is sort of preparing the ground for that transformation. Well, the, the gospel, which is at this moment part of a Jewish story, is going to expand beyond that. And here is what, here's the maybe the beginning of that, according to Mark. I like that way of thinking about it. What What is needed in terms of following Jesus or responding to Jesus depends on where you are and who you are, and to be a little bit discerning about that. Mm. All right, Amy. So that brings us to the time in the conversation where we try to think about ways in which this story connects with our own time and our own communities. What are you thinking? I am thinking about the name of these demons and about the name that we get for God in the Hebrew Bible and and how to hold those things together. So that so the name that God gives Moses for God's own name is Echia Asher Echia. I will be what I will be, or I am what I am, or something about the nature of God as like beingness or presence or this sort of like eternal unfolding and something that is not, maybe not controllable or I don't know, it's it's very big and kind of fuzzy. And <laughs> and then to, con- to contrast that with the name Legion, mm. which is especially if you if you take it in the military sense, it is very much commandable and controllable and very sort of <laughs> pointy is the word that comes to my mind and multifaceted and scary. It's just such a different, different nature of things that are speaking to each other in this text, like the forces of God in the world and the mm-hmm. forces of this demon. And I think thinking of them in terms of those names is helpful to me in the way that uh, some of what you were pointing to, the way that these forces for suffering show up in our world and our societies and our empires, they are manifold and complicated and really sharp. It's difficult to imagine sometimes what something is, what can feel soft to me, like a soft landing place as faith can say to them. And I'm not quite sure what to do with this story, but I but I like the coming together of those two very mm-hmm. different kinds of power. Mm-hmm. And of course, ultimately that the that the godly power in the world prevails, but also that there is this recognition of of serious forces of suffering that are going to have to be dealt with one way or another. Mm-hmm. I think that needs to marinate for about 10 more years and then I'll have a more, uh, these are not things that I think about very much. Like I'm not a, I don't think about forces of suffering that are not of this world. Right. So it's a really new thing to kind of try that on and see where I can find resonance in it. But this figure is just so compelling. I can't, I can't look at anything but him. Yeah. So That's so well said. What about you, Bobby? What's rising up? I think I come down in a similar place. Of course, my my weight is sort of always on the structural imperial foot a little mm-hmm. bit, I think. Mm-hmm. But what I keep getting drawn back to in this 
story is that question that the unclean spirit asks when Jesus first shows mm. up, which is, what have you to do with me? Yeah. And I, I was talking about that earlier, but I'm really reading that as these spiritual forces, which I'm reading right now as sort of structural injustices, mm-hmm. really think that the world is their natural place and that this is just the way it is. And so the fact that there are inequities is just like that's the reality of the world. This yeah. is this is where we live. And when Jesus shows up, they realize they've sort of been called out. Like this is actually not our place. It is not supposed to be this way. Jesus is going to cast us out. Or in fact in this story has already cast us out in a a narrated moment like it is it is such a contrast that they have already had to start to flee and so the presence of Jesus in the world is exactly the demonstration that those spiritual forces that seem so natural to us in fact are completely unnatural and do not belong here mm-hmm. and then we see in the body of this person the ways in which those forces cause such tremendous harm to people mm-hmm. that we've become really comfortable with. And thinking about the townspeople who are like, yeah, like get the guy who makes those forces go away, like gets rid of those demons. Let's get rid of that guy. Because mm-hmm. we liked it better when we had mm-hmm. our 2,000 pigs mm-hmm. and this one, this one person who was bearing all the pain that was caused by these spiritual forces. We like that better than the sort of world in which there is healness and whole yes. healing and wholeness. Yes. But the demons are gone. Yes. And so then when you think about so what does it mean to be the bearers of Christ in the world, which is how my communities would think about it, it should mean that when we show up into a place that the spiritual forces of the world would say what are you doing here? Please don't, please yeah. don't torture us, right? Yeah. Please don't cast us out. We have our system. We have our system and the system works. Yeah. And it's a real challenge to me to think like, do the demons tremble when I show up? Or do the demons say like, mm-hmm. hey, Williamson, like, what's up? <laughs> you know? Uh, and mm-hmm. so like the question, like, what does this have to do with that? What does your faith have to do with the economic, political, social realities, the suffering of people in the world? The assumption of the demons is they shouldn't have anything to do with each other. The assumption of Jesus is they have everything to do with each other. And I think to me that's a it's a challenge, but also an inspiration that, you know, you you could make the demonic forces of the world tremble if you if you lived your life uh, in the way of the gospel. Bobby, I love the way you said that. And it was making me think of all these prophetic texts that we've read in the Hebrew Bible where the prophet is is saying you can't just have a spiritual life that is separate from your life in the world. Yes. You can't just show up and sacrifice and then go back to like yes. cheating at the marketplace. Like you can't you can't do it. But there seems to be some persistent inclination of humans to want to do that, to want yes. to separate those things out. And this is a really powerful like manifestation of yes. that theme. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were talking about that in our economic justice series mm-hmm. a couple of years ago and mm-hmm. you know, all the way back in Amos, which was 8th century BCE. Yeah. 
And that theme runs all the way through. You're exactly right about that. Mm. All right, Amy, next week we are in two really interesting stories that are intercalated. They're sort of sandwiched together. The way Mark does. The way Mark likes to do. Mm -hmm. One about the healing of a little girl and one about the healing of a woman in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. All righty. I'll be here. All right. I'll see you then. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. Bible Worm is produced and edited by Bobby Williamson. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby, and our theme music is The World at Large by Dano Songs. Many thanks to all of our Patreon supporters for helping make this podcast possible. Join us next time when we'll be reading the story of Jesus healing two women as told in Mark 5, 21-43. Until then, keep on digging.